It's time for InsureTalk with insurance industry tech geek and Guidewire chief evangelist, Laura Drabik. In this podcast series, we don't just talk about innovative ideas in PNC insurance. We talk with industry trailblazers about the big ideas they made happen and how they did it. If you're looking for insights on the trends and technologies reshaping the industry, an all-new InsureTalk starts now. Welcome to InsureTalk. My name is Laura Drabik, and I'm the Chief Evangelist at Guidewire. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing two returning guests to this podcast, David Tobias, co-founder and Chief Operating Officer of Geospatial Property Intelligence Provider Betterview, and Stephen Lathrope, Senior Vice President for Solutions at ISI, a global leader in satellite-based monitoring and change detection intelligence. The focus of our discussion today is a topic of global urgency, climate change, and the impact on PNC insurance. As climate change accelerates, PNC insurers need access to evolving data as they grapple with extreme weather events. As of September 30th, there have been at least 47 different billion-dollar natural catastrophes worldwide. This year, according to research firm Aon, in the first nine months of 2023, insured losses topped 88 billion, 17% higher than the 21st century annual average. As it stands now, we are on track to easily pass 100 billion in catastrophe losses for the sixth year in a row. But as my two guests are here to tell you, you it's not all doom and gloom in this conversation we'll discuss how technological advances are creating unprecedented opportunities for insurers to revolutionize the way they protect society from climate change's worst effects hello david and steven welcome back to my podcast thanks laura good to be here thanks laura likewise great to be here it's clear the climate crisis, it, it's not slowing down. From, I think, 1980 to 2022, the annual number of billion-dollar disasters in the U.S. averaged eight. But over the past five years, that average soared to 18. By the third quarter of 2023, there were already 23. So the problem for insurers is that in a changing climate, historical data, territory-based models, and past lost experience, they're no longer accurate or useful. David, in your conversations with insurers, what are the biggest challenges they say they're facing when it comes to understanding and also mitigating evolving climate risks? Yeah, thanks, Laura. Yeah, it's a challenge for every insurer, big and small. I say now every insurer is a cat carrier, no matter where they write. And that wasn't the case historically. Like you said, these events are happening more often and they're getting more intense. And so the old models were great at saying this is a wildfire area, this is a wind area or a flood area. The challenge with that was they were all backward looking, not forward looking. And the events are changing more rapidly than those models can keep up with. So you need forward looking models that take into account new data elements. And you have the hazard, which is the area related risk, and then the vulnerability, which is the condition of that property. The new models really take those two things together and make it more actionable for the insurer. And so we see the insurers really struggling with that. How do they take the new data that's out there? How do they put it into action? What do they do with their insureds and how do they make their insureds part of that solution? So there's a multitude of challenges that they're all trying to tackle. They're really looking for help and the regular regulatory environment is also a little bit behind on that help. 
What about you, Stephen? What would you like to add here? I think a major part of this is how can they adapt the way that they do business to continue to provide the protection that individuals, communities, businesses need in a world in which this climate risk is clearly becoming greater, more acute, reinsurance is more expensive, the economic environment's generally tougher. And, I, you know, from our conversations with insurers, they can see that new technologies, new data can play a part. Part of the struggle is how do you consume all of that? How do you make sense of it? Not just in modeling what you think might happen and when the next event might come around, but how do you apply that and make the best decisions as quickly as you can in the heat of an event itself? A lot of the conversations we have are not so much about the obvious nature of climate change and its increasing impact, but how can insurers continue to provide protection that the economy and society needs worldwide? Swiss Re estimates that extreme weather events resulted in total economic losses of more than $120 billion in just the first six months of 2023. That's 46% above the 10-year average. So today, 76% of global exposures lack coverage against catastrophes. But avoiding new policies, rejecting renewals, or pulling out of entire markets isn't a sustainable business strategy. The global insurance industry can play a central and profitable role in protecting society from climate change's worst effects if they have the right technologies. So carriers using a modern insurance platform like Guidewire, clearly I'm a little biased, we can integrate geospatial analytics, generative AI and predictive analytics to price climate risk accurately. David, what are the key drivers behind the disconnect we see between insurer concerns about the insurability of entire territory due to climate change and modern technologies that enable them to understand and price risk accurately and profitably on a property-specific basis. Yeah, it's really a multitude of issues. You have more severe weather happening more often in areas that it might not have happened before. And you have people moving more to Texas and areas like that that have a lot of wind, hail, and potential flood events. So all these things are compounding for the insurers, not to mention inflationary pressure. So the cost to rebuild goes up. And so the issue there is people have taken broad strokes approaches saying, we're no longer going to write in these areas. We're no longer going to write in California because of the wildfire risk. That is not good for the consumer. That's not good for the insurance carrier. But put all this in line with the slowness, if you will, of the regulatory changes, they feel like they've been given no other choice. And so I think going forward, it's not one thing that can be done, but it is a few things put together using new models, using new data, new technology, but also engaging with the insureds. The insureds want to do more to help prevent these losses. And they need to be given the tools and the information to actually go do that. So what can I do to reduce my wildfire risk, my flood risk, and so on? So I think it's a combination of things. And the disconnect really comes from the fast-paced environment of the technology change and the models changing with the slowness of the fact that we're in a regulated environment and we need to be to protect the insurance carriers and ultimately protect the insurers. But you put those things together, it creates a real challenge for the insurers. Yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense. The fast pace, the environment of technology changing, but I want to come back to something you said, new models, new data, and being able to work with the insured. You know, I'm in California. My carrier left without much of a warning. And then my second carrier did as well, left the state. And, you know, David, not once did they come to me and ask or present things that I could do to actually make my property more insurable. And I think you're right on the money. If I had been given a proactive list, I would have actually helped 
out to maintain that insurance coverage. I mean, you're in California. How do you feel about that? It's a conversation we have with BetterView customers all the time. Share this information that we're providing on roof and property and otherwise with the insured so that they can be more proactive. Historically, there's been some fear of sharing that information that you might tell an insured something they didn't know and they could file a claim. The reality is these things are going to happen anyway and the traditional ways of underwriting, you know, sending inspectors out. The challenges have existed around that, you know, my whole career I've seen it, right? So I think it's not so much a if you should do this, in my view, it's how and when will you start doing it? When will you give insureds an opportunity to better protect the risk so that they can keep their insurance, so that they can keep their premiums down and ultimately prevent a worst case scenario, which is a loss. That's not good for anybody. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Stephen, ISI leverages satellite-based synthetic aperture radar or SAR technology to provide near real-time hazard and damage data from around the globe. And your data is also used with BetterView and also with Guidewire's Hazard Hub and other data and analytics solutions to understand and, of course, price risk. How might the observation and change detection capabilities of these same technologies be used to reveal evolving risk patterns for things like flooding, sea level rise, and other climate-related threats that might otherwise go undetected and pose a risk? And how might insurers use these technologies to prepare themselves to respond more effectively to natural disasters and play their part in helping society to be more resilient as climate change worsens? That's a great question, Laura. I mean, Earth observation technologies have been playing a key role in understanding how the environment's changing for many decades, as far back as the 70s. One highly visible symptom of global warming, of course, is the change in structure and extent of glaciers, huge ice shelves of the Antarctic. And that's just one of a whole host of different sensors. So, you know, we can measure weather systems, temperatures, CO2 levels, moisture in the soil, deforestation. There are a whole host of different factors, more and more data available. You know, and the industry does a great job of modelling what might happen in the future. I think the real revolution that we're seeing through the new space revolution, just the volume of data, the high resolution data and the timeliness of data that's available. What's different here is there is so much more available that is all about what's happening in the near term, a few days before an event strikes, understanding where it's likely to strike and what is likely to happen. Or when an event is happening, how can you use information that would never have been available in the past to make decisions while your customers are being affected rather than days or weeks afterwards? Uh, And that has application all the way across the insurance value chain for traditional indemnity insurance. And also, of course, it provides the opportunity for new product structures, including parametric. We're going to get to parametric insurance a little bit later because I got a question for both of you. But to be fair, I'm going to talk a little bit about regulatory mandates. So they can exacerbate or they can alleviate the impact of climate change on insurers. This spring, a Californian regulation went into effect requiring insurers to lower rates for policyholders who implement wildfire mitigation measures like me. In Europe, there's a sustainable finance disclosure regulation requiring transparency on the climate impact of products and the companies behind them. And then in the US, the SEC or Securities and Exchange Commission is finalizing similar regulations for publicly traded companies. David, what's your view of these and other regulatory mandates and what should carriers think about when trying to comply? 
It's a great question. I think with the regulatory mandates that are coming through are broad strokes approaches to a micro problem. When I say micro, I mean down to the building level, the property level. So it's great that the states are thinking about this and some of the governments across the world really are pushing towards you know some of these regulatory changes to help make sure people can get and keep insurance. That is key to the way our economies function. The problem is it's the wrong side of the equation. My belief and I'm by no means a regulatory whiz. My belief is the insurers and the regulators need to be working hand in hand because we are facing all the things that we had talked about before, climate shifts, more frequency, more severity in areas we didn't expect them. We need to look for new ways to solve these problems. We need to do it together, regulators and insurers, and we need to move much quicker. For a state to come in and say, you must write in a certain area or you must lower rates if X, Y, and Z happens, it might be a short-term fix to the problem and it might help a little bit, but it's also led to some carriers just saying, well, we won't write in California, right? Which I think, Laura, you've faced with your personal insurance. So, you know, I think it's the right thought, but maybe the wrong execution. And we can do more faster by working hand in hand, regulators and insurers. We work together and we look at the new technology and how we can really put it to work today, not six months from now, not 12 months from now, because there'll be many severe events in that six month, 12 month period, as we've shown. Yeah, you're spot on. We need to find new ways to solve these problems. So continuing on that train of thought, by leveraging a growing universe of data sources from IoT sensors, insurers can power whole new products and value propositions that protect businesses and consumers in different ways. When I think about climate change, I think tremendous opportunities exist in parametric insurance, as Stephen mentioned a little earlier. For listeners, these are policies that automatically initiate a payout for a pre-established amount based on a predefined claims trigger. For both of you, what are your thoughts on parametric insurance as a way to close some of the protection gap for commercial properties and underserved communities that might not otherwise be seen as insurable? The promise of parametric insurance is infinite. I think there's so much opportunity there. For me, being in this industry for so long, I've always felt and seen insurers want to pay what they owe when a loss happens. They want to pay it quickly. They want to pay the right amount. And they want to do right by the insurer. Parametric allows this to happen even faster, even more accurately and more efficiently for everybody involved. So it kind of fits really well within the ethos of what a lot of the insurers really want to do and what they internalize in helping the insureds. There's so much data, whether it be you know BetterView data, ISI data, you know Hazard Hub. There's so much data that can empower parametric. I think there's a long way to go as far as really working with insurers so that they can decide what data to use, how to use it within parametric, and you know we. Were we're just talking about the regulatory environment. I think the regulatory environment needs to catch up, but I'm really bullish on what can be done with parametric. I think it's exciting and it will help fill some of that protection gap. Parametric is helping to close the protection gap today. And it's particularly powerful for catastrophe events where time is of the essence in getting practical and financial help to individuals. This is impacted by major events. And of course, traditional indemnity-based insurance requires to understand the actual loss, do some adjustment and decide what to pay. If you can make much more rapid trigger-based decisions and trigger a payment, then things can be done much faster. And an observation 
changes the game here again, because if you can really have confidence as the person underwriting, providing the capital behind a parametric arrangement, that your payment will be triggered by something that really reflects the kind of loss that's happened, even if it's not adjusting for an individual loss, then you can be more confident in the arrangement as a whole. You're looking at something that is actually an observation of the damage or the water level, rather than how bad was the weather, how much rainfall was there. That doesn't necessarily translate directly into what happened on the ground. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with both of your comments. And then just to add a little bit of color here and personalize it for our listeners, we have a family farm in Canada, in Manitoba, wheat farmers. It's been in our family for over 100 years, and we've had parametrics policies since the 90s. Did you know one combine costs over $500,000? I mean, without parametrics, my sister and brother-in-law would never have been able to pay the bank the lease on that one combine. So it's incredibly important, not just in third world countries, but also do north of us in Canada as well or any farming community. So thanks for sharing. Awesome. Great information. When we come back after this short break, we'll continue our conversation with Stephen Lathrope, Senior Vice President for Solutions at ISI and BetterView COO David Tobias. So stay tuned. Digging in Sure Talk with Laura Drabik? Be sure to subscribe on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, rate the show on Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Now, let's get back to the show. And welcome back to Insure Talk. This is Laura Drabik, and I'm talking with BetterView COO David Tobias and Stephen Lathrope, Senior Vice President for Solutions for ISI. According to Guidewire's 2023 Global Insurance Consumer Survey, one in three insurance customers want access to services that warn them of potential damage before it happens. And in some regions, as much as 82% say they're interested in preventative insurance services that reduce either the frequency or severity of damages that do occur. David, how does the industry safely and profitably shift from repair and replace to predict and prevent when it comes to climate change and extreme weather events? Thanks, Laura. Yeah, this is something I'm personally really passionate about, the predict and prevent. It's something that has been in the industry as long as I can remember. They would send inspectors out to do loss control reports. Those inspectors would look for potential hazards. They would go into a report. Recommendations would then get sent to the insured, fix this, there's a crack here, somebody could trip and fall, et cetera, et cetera. And the challenge with that is it's expensive and slow. And so I think new technology really allows for this shift from just repairing and replacing when there is a loss to predicting and preventing, there's this shift that can be done using technology because we can now more accurately use you know, satellites, aerial imagery, other sources of data, and we can detect some of these things and we can give recommendations, right? We can give recommendations. We can do this digitally now without actually sending anybody out. And I think consumers are also expecting more of their brands today. They're used to going on an app and getting food delivered instantly. They're used to you know that kind of gratification and touch points from their brand. And I think insurance can do more to have those positive interactions. Hey, here's the health of your property. Here's what's going on with it. We'll send that to you quarterly. We'll give it to you on some basis so you can help better manage your property and your risk. And for many folks, their biggest asset in their home or their business. And so I think there's just so much opportunity to actually get ahead of some of these problems. And I think insureds are more engaged than ever and willing to do some of these things because ultimately they want to keep their insurance. They're seeing what's happening. 
being in California, Texas, and Florida. And so if there's something that they can do to make their risk better to either lower premium or just get them insurance in the first place, they're going to do it. And you need new technology to really push that forward. Yeah. You really hit it on the head when you said this is our biggest investment. And of course, we want to be able to protect it. We just need someone to guide us on how to do that. So well put. As someone who began my career many, many years ago as a claims adjuster in catastrophe response, I know firsthand the crucial role that insurers play during and also after catastrophes. So just this year, Hurricane Adalia clobbered Florida in August with claims expected to reach more than $10 billion. And in October, Hurricane Otis unleashed billions more in Mexico. So as the frequency and severity of catastrophes continue to worsen, rapid and proactive cat response will be a priority during large-scale events that might otherwise overwhelm claims operations. So Stephen, what are some things insurers need to think about when it comes to getting the situational awareness they need in these events? I think it's fair to say the industry's got a real opportunity Laura to dramatically raise the bar on the way it plans for and responds to events. So I think situational awareness is typically pretty poor. Insurers have a really good understanding of the fact that their customers have been impacted, that an event has hit a wide area potentially, but it is pretty unusual for them to know where the most severe impact is or isn't. And as a result, to be able to focus their response activity on the customers have the greatest need, where the losses are likely to be greatest, where there is still opportunity or not to take action to mitigate the overall impact and further cost that might occur you know, if action isn't taken. And part of the issue is that, generally speaking, insurers rely on their models to drive their situation awareness, models of what they thought is likely to happen if a big event hits Florida. You mentioned Idalia. What happens if an Idalia-shaped event hits? Well, obviously, there's going to be a lot of impact over a broad area. But what is really happening on the ground is something which typically eludes insurers. So their response is pretty broad brush, pretty unfocused, lots of good intent, but not as effective as it could be. We would say that one of the things that is enabled by Earth observation from space is a much more rapid understanding at a much higher level of detail of what has actually happened at an individual property level. And that kind of data for a risk carrier gives them the opportunity to say, I understand now across thousands of square miles where the impact is likely to be great. I can focus my resources on getting to those people who need my help the most. And as a result, provide a better experience for them, quicker recovery, and save a lot of money in the process. Going back to the knock-on impacts of natural catastrophes for a moment, Stephen, I'm going to begin with you. How can insured techs and the insurance industry collaborate with governments and research institutions to advance climate resilience and minimize damage to communities while, by the way, helping protect insured properties from any knock-on impacts? stemming from a cat. We've actually set ourselves up at ISI with a team focusing on supporting government customers and a team focusing on supporting insurance customers that draw on exactly the same product. And there's a huge amount of crossover in what we do. You know what government agencies need to do when a major event hits? It feels really similar to what insurance companies want to be able to do in very rapid response for their customers. In the US, we do the same kind of work, providing our insights to FEMA, using Earth observation, other new technologies to revolutionize disaster and crisis management using that kind of new data. So there's a huge overlap. There's an enormous collaboration opportunity for the good of the industry and the good of communities that the government serve. 
I think a lot can be gained by sharing what the insurtechs are doing, what the data folks are doing with the government agencies. One, I think it can help with resilience. Like there's information that Eyeside, better view. We can share with an insured, but also with a government agency. Not only there's wildfire risk, but we can say what tree you should cut down to reduce your wildfire risk. This is the tree that's most likely to ignite the fire on your home. And so I think that kind of collaboration can lead to more resilient communities, which obviously helps the constituents of those communities. The other benefit of working with some of these agencies in industry groups is they understand more about the technology. So the more they know about it, I think the faster they can respond when, say, an insurance company wants to file a new rate. If the regulators understand the technology better, maybe they can respond a little bit faster. So I think that the onus is partially on the insure techs, if you will, to make sure that folks are educated on what we're doing. And you know, the other thing I'll add is I think there's a tremendous benefit for the insurance industry, the insure techs working with government and research institutions, but also with each other, much like we do as BetterView with ISI. I think there's a tremendous amount of benefit that can happen there. Great. Thanks, David. Stephen, on the other side of this break, we'll continue the conversation, so don't go anywhere. Loving Insure Talk with Laura Drabik? For more expert insights and inspiration, subscribe to Laura's email newsletter at drabikdigest.com, your one stop resource for Laura's latest blog posts, videos, podcasts, articles, and more. That's www.drabikdigest.com. Now let's get back to the show. And welcome back. This is Insure Talk with Laura Drabik, and we're talking with Stephen Lathrop from ISI and David Tobias from BetterView. David, artificial intelligence figures heavily into climate risk solutions. What are the ethical considerations technology providers and insurers should be mindful of when they're dealing with climate data and the potential consequences? How should they go about addressing these potential ethical issues? Yeah, I think being transparent in how the models work. In our world, a lot of it revolves around computer vision. So what is the computer seeing and what inferences is it drawing from that? We've always taken a approach of our models need to be transparent. Some people have what they call black box models. We've taken the approach of having a glass box model, right? Of let's show what our models are showing so that the regulators know, so other people know, the insurers, and importantly, the insureds. Because if we can be transparent, and what we're seeing, we can help lead to that predict and prevent. We can tell you what you need to fix to reduce your risk. So I think that's the approach we've taken. I do think it's helpful to keep in mind that the current way, if you consider you know, having humans in the loop is the current way for most organizations, the current way of doing things has prejudice, has bias in the mix. So with what you can do with AI, you need to track and be very thoughtful around what biases might be in there, but you can track them and you can show them and you can fix them. Humans are much harder to train when it comes to bias. So I'd argue that you need to be transparent and thoughtful, but let's not forget the current system is not perfect either. Yeah, it's a good point. I love the glass box model approach and the human is biased. You're correct. But I guess some of that bias then will be carried through into AI if those humans are training the AI. So we have to be cognizant and careful of that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So for both of you, as experts in the field, what advice do you have for PNC insurers looking to adopt geospatial analytics and other technologies as core components of their climate resilience strategies? Let's start off with you, Stephen. 
My first big picture response to that, Laura, would be say, let's take a broad view of the potential of these technologies across your whole value chain and ask yourself where additional, better, high resolution, more timely understanding of the way that the environment's changing and of individual events can alter radically the way that you run the business. And don't just think of the geospatial data as being something that a modeling or an analytics team should be working with, because they'll get a load of value from in their work. But this sort of data is at its most valuable when it's applied to individual business decision in the guts of a carrier's operation, not just planning and modeling, but those decisions that get made every minute of every day when a major event has struck and that really determine the service that customers receive and the outcomes that are delivered to corporate stakeholders. And in our experience, you know, lots of insurers see the potential but struggle sometimes with the challenge of consuming the data into their business. So we get engaged with modeling and analytics teams, but not as readily engaged in the actual line of business of claims, of underwriting and so on, which of course is why working with BetterView, we are bringing our data together as two different organisations in order to help accelerate that adoption process for carriers. And of course, working together also with Guidewire, what we're trying to do as a sort of threesome here is get the data in a form that is easily received and then pipe it straight into the platforms that carriers use to run their businesses and make those decisions. So I'd say think big, but also think operational and think about how you can lean on your technology partners to help bring that data to life in your business processes. Yeah, well put. How about you, David? Any thoughts here? Yeah, Stephen, I think nailed it in that thinking about not just the data and how it might impact your business, but thinking about how you're actually going to put that data to work is so, so crucial. And that's where, frankly, we spend a lot of our time. What's the business process management behind implementing these things? My other advice would be things are moving so quickly in the climate, regulatory, and technology world. Don't look for perfection. Look for what is better than your current system or your flow today. Can you get an improvement over that? Because you have have to get in. You have to start somewhere because climate is changing faster than it's ever changed. Technology is changing faster than it's ever changed. So doing nothing is not an option. Yeah. You don't look for perfection. Nothing's standing still. So start now. Well put. On this train of thought, according to Capgemini, only 35% of insurers have adopted technologies like the ones we've been discussing today. So start now, first of all, don't wait for perfection like David said, but everybody else should hurry and catch up to that 35% as Cap. Gemini suggests the availability of vast amounts of data and the technology to leverage it mean the industry will soon become part of a much larger conversation. Stephen, what role can geospatial data or satellite monitoring and change detection play when the question moves from how best to ensure individuals and communities can rebuild post-catastrophe to if and where to do so? Laura, I think the thing that's changed really in respect to where to do so and if to do so is just the granularity and the resolution and the completeness of information that's available now about events. On the flood side, for example, we've done high resolution reporting on 130 events now down to very, very high resolution. And that gets beyond what governments gather as high watermarks, what insurers gather as claims experience, but it really does map the whole of an event. And that gives some real clues as to what is likely to happen next time there is an event in a similar area. So we can observe the reality at a high resolution and put that information into the planning for where individual properties should go and feed it back into an understanding of what the likelihood of impact onto properties that were affected before is. So it's all about the resolution 
resolution and the completeness of data that's available now. I couldn't agree more. David, any thoughts here? Yeah, as Stephen mentioned, there is so much more data available. What this allows for, though, is consistent, constant monitoring of properties and what's changing. There will be events that we've never seen before. The wind will go in a direction in a wildfire we didn't ever think it would go. Those will go into the new models and those will continue to evolve. But day by day, it's really back to that predict and prevent. How do we share this information with insurers, with insurance agents? How do we really become proactive partners and risk management. And I think that's what changes over time. I think we're probably still going to build in catastrophe prone areas. So how do we monitor that risk day after day, month after month, and work with the insurers, the business owners to protect that risk? And so I think it's really just threefold collaboration, insurance carriers with insureds and regulators working together to prevent the thing we all want to prevent, which is a loss. David, insurance is in your DNA. You grew up working in your family's property inspection business where you saw firsthand the difficulties insurers face in obtaining a clear view of properties in their book. Tell us, please, what the journey from there to better view was like and what gets you excited when you think about technology's potential in making more of the world insurable against climate change. Well, growing up in the insurance industry and specifically gathering property data, it's been really interesting to see how technology has brought that forward. In that business, I had 500 boots on the ground inspectors across the US. We were ecstatic if inspections would come back in 30 days or less. That dynamic has shifted. Many of the things that historically were on those boots on the ground inspection reports, we can now answer digitally in seconds. So in a relatively short amount of time, technology has advanced so much. And that's from satellite data, from aerial imagery data, and so on and so on, that we can answer many of these questions so we can do what happened in traditional loss control that would happen in 30 days after the bind of a policy. We can do it in seconds before we even quote the policy. I think for me, that's really exciting to see. And I'm excited to be part of going from that boots on the ground, very manual processes and seeing how we can apply technology to make for a more efficient process for insurance, for insurance carriers and everybody involved in the whole insurance lifecycle. Stephen, we first met a year ago when ISI won Guidewire's inaugural InsureTech Vanguard's Pitch Day competition. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks very much. So what has been the most exciting development in ISI's odyssey since then? I think being part of the program as a guide to our vanguard, that experience of the pitch and all of the follow-up from that was in itself being a really exciting development. I mean, we have great exposure to customers, the Guidewire team, other partners in that community. We've learned a lot. We've built our accelerator. We're really looking forward to being able to have that in the Guidewire marketplace in quarter one. So exciting times, lots going on, but a really great experience, Laura, as part of the Guidewire Vanguards program. David and Stephen, thank you so much for your time today and for your incredible insights. You've shown us that it's not just about ideas, it's about making ideas happen. Many thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. Great chatting. Tune in next time for an all-new episode of Insure Talk with Laura Drabik, brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. For more information, visit guidewire.com.